and welcome to episode 81 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Pilar Orti. Pilar, how are you doing today? I'm all right. <laughs> as I was explaining to you earlier, a bit of um, moving furniture around to be able to work in the in the one-bedroom flat with my husband, but I have to say I am well, thank you. And you? Being well is really important right now. Yes, I am also well, and I'm also aware that I'm working from home, so I'm making good use of the soft furnishings to kind of create a podcast space here in the study. Um, I think many, many of our listeners will be working in a sort of suboptimal situation at the moment. It won't be necessarily in a space that was designed for work, and so a lot of us are making the best of the situation. But that's in part what we're going to talk about today, because it's another episode all about the experience of working from home. And this time we're going to look at how we can know more about and then manage our boundaries, which is a, a key element of this. And if this is the first time you're listening, you're very welcome. If you want to um, learn more about this series that we're doing at the moment, you know, we've covered things like psychological well-being, physical well-being. Uh, last time we looked at the role of hobbies and leisure and downtime as part of the working home, uh, working from home experience. Um, there's no specified order you need to listen to. But as I think is has been clear from our discussions, it's it's too big a topic to cover in one go, and at least in one episode that is um, is manageable <laughs> from a time perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've sliced it up a little bit, and and today is all about managing boundaries. But uh, first of all, we maybe share a few pieces of news. So I was recently interviewed um, for an article on the Yahoo Finance website. I those words don't go together for me, Yahoo <laughs> Finance. But anyway, um, I was interviewed on an interesting topic, which is this notion of asynchronous video interviews. Pilar, have you come across these before? Uh I, you know what? I never heard them called that before, which is uh, funny because I use the word asynchronous a lot, but not in the concept of video interviews. So I think I have, and we might have covered at some point, um, maybe, maybe at another, in another lifetime, uh, the different ways <laughs> of, of recruiting pre-corona. Uh, so yeah. I haven't experienced them myself. Uh, and I knew that they were there maybe as a first I've always thought of them as a first step I think they're often used that way actually yeah and and just for listeners you may be familiar with the well you will be familiar with the concept of a face-to-face -face interview all parties are in the room together you may have come across video interviews where at the same time there's a video call and the interview is taking place over that medium well the notion of an asynchronous video interview is that the candidates are filming themselves to share their responses to questions, but they're not doing this in real time. So Pilar doesn't ask me a question and I respond immediately. You prepare and you record yourself and you submit that. And I was asked what I thought about this and what my perspective might be, to, what could I share with candidates? And it, it got me thinking about the working from home experience and our asynchronous work conversation that we've had previously, because it's quite an unusual situation. You're trying to deliver your me at my best, to a camera, not a person. Um, and yet at the same time, you might have an opportunity to practice. You might have an opportunity to uh, 
practice recording yourself. But then we're into other things, aren't we? Like, might interviewers judge you based on the space you're in? And we already know people have commented on each other's homes in this lockdown period. Uh, the, and some people have felt anxious about sharing their physical environment over camera. So it, it, it's a complex topic, I think. And I'd be really interested to see any data, any good evidence that explores in particular uh, bias in this particular uh, assessment method uh, can, we can be so easily biased by what we see. And I'd really like to understand more about that. But I'll put a link to the interview in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. And if you are a listener who has been through one of these, uh, we would love to hear from you. So drop us a message on Twitter at mypocketpsych and, and let us know how it was for you. I think we will see more and more of it. So I think it's really important we understand how well does it work as a method and how fair is it as a method. Yeah, my first uh, thought was uh, it probably shows who's really good in front of the camera talking to camera. <laughs> uh, but, but like you say, but that's that's my my opinion, and it would be really good to see in which situations it works best uh, and when it might be, be preferable. Like you're saying, there, there might be reasons why someone is better talking to a camera than not. So I think I agree. Mm -hmm. Love to hear experiences and love to see any research. Exactly. It's super relevant if your role is going to invo uh, involve you speaking to a camera. Mm. But if it's not, we then need to really focus on skills and experience. So yeah, let's find out more. There was another article uh, that I really, I, I wanted to touch on it in this episode, <laughs> mostly because it brought out a whole host of emotions in me. Um, first of all, with the, the headline, then the content, then further thought. But this was a news item earlier this month on the BBC. It was covered widely. I spotted it on the BBC. And the headline is, a wristband that tells your boss if you are unhappy. And then a photograph of a hand holding two of these plastic wristbands. My, my first thought was, this is a bit, this is a bit apocalyptic. <laughs> This is a bit sci-fi. I'm not sure I want a device telling my manager if I am unhappy or happy. And obviously, headlines oversimplify. But actually, the device they call uh, to, to attention here literally has two buttons, a happy button and an unhappy button. And we've talked in the past about monitoring employees. We've talked about the, the use of feedback for employees to the organization the the logic behind this device and the other ones like it is that, oh, it's a lot for managers to do to stay on top of how their employees are doing. And this makes it easier for people to tell them how they're doing. Now, Pilar, can you see any weaknesses in that argument? Well, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. And so the... It, 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 again, it, it's what are we trying to replace also and what are we trying to enable? I think it could be useful in starting a conversation if for some reason that conversation is just not happening. This is what uh, a lot of advocates for this kind of uh, of uh, tech might might say, that it's, it, it's something when there's nothing. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's one, to be honest, I know it's coming from a place where they're saying there's a lot, there are problems at the moment, so we want to know that those problems are there. But in a way, it's oversimplifying the problem and it's oversimplifying the reaching out for help. So, yeah. Hmm. 
Well-intentioned, I think, is coming from a good place. But whenever we simplify human problem to a binary, I think it can be misconstrued, misinterpreted. Obviously, they're not saying employees must wear these. It's always an option. But then you have the question of, well, how will you think of me if I don't wear it? Um, What will you think of me if I keep saying I'm not happy or I'm not okay? And how many people will, just like presenteeism, say they're okay when they're not? You know, and I think, okay, let's imagine the whole population of managers in your firm is really well equipped to have conversations like this. Yeah, think about a nice pulse survey way of them getting a dashboard of how people are, but not instead of conversations, not instead of the human connection. Uh, So, yeah, I, I. Again, listeners, I'd love to hear what you think about this kind of concept. I'll put the the link in the show notes so you can have a read yourself. Uh, I don't want to shut it down completely, but always when when technology like this is reported in the news, it it can be a little bit oversimplified. So maybe we can revisit it in in a future episode. And uh, I saw this, you shared this article with me uh, some time ago, and I saw this just today on the day of recording, end of January 2021. Someone else was sharing it on LinkedIn with exactly the same uh, observations. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, then it must be true. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, you know, I I think it will appeal to some people and it will give other people shivers. So let's see. Let's see how it pans out. Now, big news from us, and by us, I mean Work Life Psych, um, we're going to be launching an online community in the coming weeks, um, all about people development. I mean, that's what we do at Work Life Psych, coaching, training, development programs. And last year, uh, you may be aware, I ran a series of free public webinars on a series of topics that uh, may have been of interest to people. And, and they were, you know, people turned up, asked questions, got involved, um, and then uh, shared those on YouTube. But the challenge is, you know, getting a right time of day, involving enough people, what do you do about the discussion? So it got me thinking. So I'm going to launch a free online community just about people development for people to come together, think about their own developments, get carefully curated resources, um, learn more about themselves, um, encounter concepts, knowledge, network with others, get a sense of accountability for changes that they're making, anything you can imagine that would be useful in terms of your, your personal development. And it will be free forever. We will have the opportunity to join some paid courses in time, but the emphasis here is on building a really uh, useful community for people. And And in thinking about why someone might might join this, I, I thought of some examples I've encountered in my own career. You know, maybe you're really motivated to work on yourself, but maybe your organization doesn't support that. Maybe you're, you're self-employed and you're missing out on that sort of infrastructure around you in your organization to provide training. And of course, maybe your budget, maybe your time doesn't extend to going on formal training courses or accessing the services of a coach. Maybe you're doing all of that already and you want to be part of something because the accountability element, the sharing with people and the learning from others is what you really, really want. In the absence of bringing people together physically, because that's difficult right now, um, this online platform is is how we're going to do that. It's in very early beta right now, but if you're listening to this and it, this sounds like something that you are intrigued by, get in touch and I'll send you a um, joining link 
and you will be able to join the discussions and see if they're the kind of thing that you're interested in. But in prepping for today, it occurred to me that this would also be the perfect location for all of our listeners to come after listening to episodes to continue to have that discussion. And of course, we can discuss with you. So we want to make it interactive. We want to make it useful. The only way we can do that is if you join us, tell us what you want, and we'll take it from there. I would love to go to a space where listeners uh, tell us what they are thinking as they're listening to the episodes. I would love that. And anything yeah. else that we can um, that we can then add also, because a lot of the time it's nice to see what, what's on people's minds and use that sometimes as a springboard for content as well. So, yeah, I'd love, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens there. Fantastic. So listeners, get in touch uh, via Twitter or send a message on the Work Life Psych website. That's at worklifepsych.com slash contact, and we'll send you a link. It's a really nice platform, actually, and you can access it on the web or you can get a, a, an app for your mobile phone of choice and just um, interact with it on the move. So watch this space. So boundaries. Uh, boundaries come up a lot in conversations I've been having for the last 10 months or so, however long this disruption has been going on in a big way. And people have really felt the change to their normal routines and how they might have viewed work and personal as being quite separate or not. But there's been this disruption, there's been this change. And so it's brought, brought the idea of boundaries to front of mind for, for many people. So I thought it would be useful to explore some of the things that listeners might want to reflect on. As ever, when it comes to this, your mileage may vary. There's no one size fits all. But I would encourage people to reflect on some of these points so that you can manage your own boundaries with intention. You know, you've decided what it is that you want and you're going to try and navigate these things rather than simply do things automatically, let it happen to you, and maybe find yourself in a position further down the line of being a bit resentful and disappointed by how your boundaries are being encroached upon, for example. So at its simplest, boundary management is really about intentionally understanding and engaging with and managing the boundaries between your professional and your personal contexts. And that's in a way that that suits your needs, it, it suits your preferences, but it's also acknowledging the context that you're in. So this isn't about um, a list of demands that must be met, but this is how I'd like to do it. And this is what I think is possible. This might be a bit of a squeeze. This might require negotiation, you know, those kinds of, of things. They are preferences, but we always need to acknowledge the context that we're in. And we touched on it last time around when I, I spoke with Dr. Kira Kelly, all about the role of uh, pastimes, hobbies, leisure, all that stuff. And she mentioned in passing this notion of band, boundary management preferences, distinguishing between people who have a preference to segment and those who want to integrate. You know, segmenters like to keep the professional and the personal quite well apart as much as they can. Integrators are happy for some spillover to happen between those domains and potentially exploit the positives that come from that spillover, like using work-based skills at home or for a really nice day, um, a really nice evening for that to spill over into the following day at work. But of course, the first thing is, does that suit the context that you're in? 
And it strikes me that many people out there who have a strong preference to segment the professional and the personal might find this context a little bit difficult because they've come together and sort of smashed into each other. The, the home environment is now also the workplace. What do you think, Pilar? Is, is, is that going to be a real challenge for people who wanted to keep those things separate? Or do you think by now, nine months in, that they've maybe come to an accommodation with it? Maybe, but it, uh, again, <laughs> again, it really depends. I think even, um, I don't know, because even I've used the home for work for quite a while, but even I've had to redesign some of the stuff and I've had to, I was talking today to someone about adding friction points so that I can keep that separation because I'm a real mm. separator. Mm -hmm. So I like to know when I'm working. I like to know when I'm not, when I'm doing something else. I like to know what bits of the house I'm using for work when mm. uh, or what bits of work I do outside. So I think that finding, yeah, I've had to even do things to help me to do that, that maybe before I hadn't. So I'm sure that there's still people having to think very consciously through how they do this. And that's what I'd really like to touch on today, the, the conscious exploration of this so that you can make the improvements that you want to, rather than finding yourself 12, 15 months into a new arrangement, even if it's one you wanted and not being satisfied with it, or finding that the the pressure or the anxiety or the disappointment that comes from it might have been something you could have dealt with a little bit earlier. Now, just like many of the concepts we discuss, um, boundary management is an ongoing activity. We don't have a point where we tick a box and go, now that is resolved. And it's for this very simple reason that change happens constantly. And the demands of our job might change. Uh, who's at home, who's doing what at home might change. Uh, the rules about what we're allowed to do might change. So it's something to pay attention to and to be flexible with while still having some principles there about how we would ideally like things and, and to learn how to, to flex either side of that. So we need to pay attention. What are the demands upon me? What are the resources I have at a, at a given point in time? And Pilar, I really liked your ideas there about, yes, I've been doing this for some time, but I, I still have this preference to keep things uh, segregated. And that's a really good example of, I like to know when I'm working and when I'm not working, rather than the habit that it's very easy to fall into, right? Of, well, there's not much else to do. I might as well open my laptop again and see if there's any new emails or I better check, uh, you know, and then you find, well, I could be working anytime because my home is now the workplace. Or even I found having to stop myself from, you have that idea that you could action and it would only take you two minutes to action it and going, mm -hmm. no, <laughs> because yeah. if I start to action that, that's going to lead to that. And actually I just make a note and, and, and not do that, which is something, well, I think I, I'm learning to manage now, but I think it's always been there. And with the kind of jobs that we have, there's always something more that can mm -hmm. be done. You know, so that two minute action might prompt something else or you spot an email, you spot a message. You, you're absolutely right. So knowing what you want rather than, well, I could do that. And that's the challenge we face. Of course you could, but is that going to be helpful? Is that going to really be how you want things to be? Uh, because one evening becomes two, becomes three months, becomes, you know, a career of, of operating like that. It's, it's really useful when we think about boundary management when working from home. And let's imagine we're 18 months, 24 months in the future. Life has, has changed a lot and many people are back working in 
shared physical office spaces, there will, as we've discussed before, still be some people who really want to have either a permanent working from home arrangement or at least a lot of flexibility in there. And they will find time um, when they'll, they'll be working at home. The challenge is, even whether it's lockdown or in the future, the physical boundaries are the things that have changed an awful lot. The context has changed. And we've said before how important it is to pay attention to that context and adapt along with it. So what do we not have anymore? We we may not have a very separate physical space we associate with work. We may not have a, a commute that serves as a nice transition period going to and coming from work. We may not have the visual cues around us in our workplace that tell us it's time to do this. It's time to take a break. It's time to have lunch. Um, and so there are many more of them, obviously, but these are the really obvious ones. So we need to think about what what is going to be different about this and what are the implications for my preferred way of managing the boundaries between the personal and the professional. And, you know, it's really useful then to think about what your your preferences are, you you don't need to sit down and, and spend a day on this. Just think about how you've navigated um, the work home interface in the past. Uh, do you dip in and out of work or do you like to just down tools and that's it? Now it's my my personal time. Think about interruptions you've had. Think about personal things intruding on work and vice versa. How did you navigate those challenges? It's just useful to get a sense of your preferences so that you can look at your context look at what's going on for you and see, are there things I might need to nudge in one direction or the other? And of course, it's a preference that might change over time as well. We're not talking about something that's fixed forever. Maybe your skills of navigating challenges might mean that your your preference adjusts to one that's more of an integrator, or maybe you learn with time that it benefits you and your context to have more separation. So something to keep an eye on, that preference and how it might shift. But we really want to cover, uh, rather than rules, some principles, um, which which I always tend to do because they've got wiggle room in them. They're, no one needs more rules. And this is all about flex flexibility. So a, a great starting point is, is about figuring out what matters to you. You know, when you think about the boundaries you want to manage and how you want to do that, that's really going to be a function of how you want things to be you know, is is having an awful lot of leisure time really important to you? Is um, having that uh, dedicated time for your family and dedicated time for you? Uh, I, I came across a great phrase the other day, work self-balance in a journal article I was reading from based on a, a Japanese study. And it was just about that time to look after yourself for yourself. That was nothing to do with family responsibilities or any of the other work we need to do outside of work. So figuring out your values, how you want to live your life, having a look at all of the different roles that represent responsibilities, you know, how would you like that to work? Again, this isn't a promise to yourself or a demand of anyone else, but it is giving it some thought so that you can make some intentional decisions and take action in, a, in an intentional way. And then you can have a look at how things actually are and what might need to change as a result. So we're starting with the foundations there. As a general principle, um, this is a flexible issue. So as demands upon us, maybe working hours might might uh, change, maybe extra workload, maybe we need to cover for someone, maybe we're on special projects. You, you can see what I'm getting at there. It, it, it's about being pragmatic 
and, and figuring out a way to manage our boundaries, but knowing that there will be exceptions to that because needs must. And if we, if we don't flex with that, if we're inflexible in the face of that, um, it may not work out well for us, both in terms of how we feel about work and, of course, our relationships with others at work. And of course, at home, we may be, you know, tempted to be inflexible with our personal roles as well. So we need to to remember that it's not about looking at a single day in time. It's about looking at trends. I'm sure, Pilar, we've both had situations where we had to pull out all the stops to get something done. But we could put that in context and say, well, I don't want to live every day like that, but I could see that was necessary that day. Exactly. I was thinking it's about not letting the exception become the rule or the habit, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, but having the room, of course, for those exceptions to, to take place. Yeah, exactly. So you're doing it intentionally. You know, you're deciding to do it rather than it becoming the norm. That's, that's the key point here. And, and of course, <clears throat> I'm, I, I don't think I would ever say to someone, these should be your working hours. Uh, it's about figuring out what works for you because it's not about a division between two roles. We have multiple roles. So be pragmatic. And if it works for you, it works for you, you know, and, and there are so many different ways people approach boundary management and the activities of work and non-work that there's no, there's no perfect recipe for this, but I always encourage my coaches, for example, to also be honest and ask, is it really working for you? Or do you feel you need to keep up an appearance here? Um, or are you under the false belief that you're expected to be available at all hours? Or are you laboring under the belief that this is the only way to be, in adverted commas, successful? So it is about being pragmatic and identifying something, but then you know, questioning that and saying, might I want to change some of this? Where did this habit come from? Do I remember when I started doing this in the first place? And like you say, Pilar, those habits can um, really embed themselves quite easily. And we find ourselves working longer than we'd intended. And I think also the expectation that, uh, going back to an earlier point, the expectation that everyone needs to have a work-life balance, uh, whereas some of us might not. And I think, like you say, being honest with yourselves or even if you're working with other people, having that conversation so that you feel also that you feel comfortable that your way is what works for you. And as long as you're working, <laughs> as long as you're working well with others as well, that it's fine. It's fine if you want to integrate your work and your life. It's fine if you want to negotiate it. Uh, it's mm. fine if you want to have a complete separation. So I think that it's, it's really interesting how we the expectations come from all places. Exactly. And and being aware of the trends in how this goes. Yes. Uh, There's a, a scenario I encounter a lot in development contexts. Uh, it's either working with a, a cohort of people on a program or an individual coachee, but a very bullish and positive view of their 60-hour week and saying, yeah, but it's just for now. And, and I'm just investing now to boost my career prospects, but it's not going to be forever. But then I encounter these people you know, further down the line in their career, obviously not the exact same people, but people who started that and didn't make any changes. And that, you know, more than a few times leads to regret and wishing that they'd made a change earlier. So of course, pragmatism means we might need to pull out all the stops. We might need to blur those boundaries or lose them for a period of time. But we also need to remember we decided to do it for a period of time. And if you find yourself saying, it's just for this project, 
I think we can all agree there will be another project on the way and another one and another one. So being honest with yourself, if you have let this run away from you and if you want to make some changes, it's never too late to try and make some changes. A big part of our our boundary management and in remaining flexible is acknowledging other people. So we've talked about interdependence before and the, um, the importance of remembering our colleagues, their working styles, their goals. And when we spoke the last time, Pilar, about that article um, about the getting things done yeah. approach, the rise and fall. Um, I love that article. I reread it the other day, actually, uh, <laughs> to remember that we're interdependent with other people. Yeah. And so that requires us to be flexible, but but in both directions, because we, we'll have responsibilities outside of work in some of our roles that we need to be um, aware of. And so if we have flexibility at work and then we're able to enjoy that flexibility, we need to do that within the bounds of understanding we're part of a system. We are um, related to other people at work and um, there's going to have to be a middle ground. And so it's better to acknowledge that than to try and enforce something that's not going to work with the people you work with. And that includes um, communication. You know, we, we, again, a common scenario I encounter is something that sounds along the lines of people should realize this is what I want. But if you've never said that, if you've never expressed it, if you've never given feedback to your colleagues that actually I stopped working two hours ago, you know, this isn't a great time to call me. Or if you've just kept it to yourself and quietly got more and more resentful, well, you know, you are where you are. So you, it's really useful over time to signpost your life, your commitments, your routines, your your absolute requirements versus your your preferences. And they could be things like childcare. You know, there's a real requirement there. There's some, um, I must, you know, I must be there on time for, for childcare versus actually I try not to take meetings on a Friday afternoon or I try not to take meetings uh, between one and two because that's when I try and have a break for my lunch. Signposting those kinds of things to others, then it means they'll know. And if they push back on that, well, you'll do that in the knowledge of them knowing about your preferences and that's a whole different kind of conversation but it's inefficient and it takes too much time and it involves mind reading mm. if you think they should figure it out for themselves and i think the conversation has really opened up with uh, everyone having to work from home it's really allowed for people for more people to feel comfortable with saying those kind of things so i think that even if we felt before that it was difficult to communicate for some reason, you know, because company cultures and team cultures can be can be tricky. I think it's worth revisiting now, mm. don't you think, Richard? Definitely. I think a lot of this stuff is up for discussion. And as we said previously, I really hope this uh, acknowledgement of the person stays with us. You know, the employee as an individual with a rich life rather than a job title that you see in the office and their private life is completely separate. They're the one person. And so if we can continue to be open about this and, and have these discussions, that, that is going to help. Um, but, but it also means that when or if, however you want to put it, there's a return to more office-based work, that there'll still be the need to manage these boundaries yeah. um, and have these discussions and talk about these preferences. Maybe one thing that might work is if more managers, if more leaders have come to realize that it's outputs they should be concerned about and not presence or hours put in, then maybe there'll be more acceptance of 
people's desire to manage those boundaries in a, in a proactive way. And I've seen some organizations do great stuff in this regard, by the way, you know, announcing that they expect people to block out time for the lunch break and announcing they don't want any meetings scheduled after a certain time, um, giving people time to uh, take a break during the day and in, in the winter so they can get out during daylight and not miss all of that daylight. You know, there are ways organizations can can support this um, very easily. Um, th- there's also a, a point here about what you're prepared to put up with. And looking at this through the lens of acceptance and commitment theory, you know, we talk about discomfort, psychological discomfort. Uh, we talk about acceptance of the discomfort that's involved in doing anything meaningful. Boundary management has got to be one of those meaningful things there. It's about living the life you want to live. It's about having work in its place and the personal in its place and ensuring that you're navigating that in a way that's meaningful to you. Well, that's not going to be easy. And so if we're tempted to have the easy route, we may find that the boundaries go up in smoke and we're at the mercy of people who are maybe more vocal, more forceful, or we just follow what others are doing. So be prepared. It could be uncomfortable. It could be as uncomfortable as speaking up in a meeting for the first time, raising your hand, being the dissenting voice. It's that kind of discomfort. It may be also realizing, as many of us have as we you know, progress through our careers, we realize we can't do it all. (laughs) And so there's an element of sacrifice there. And anytime we prioritize, there's an element of of sacrifice. But we need to ask ourselves, what kind of discomfort am I prepared to accept when it comes to my important boundaries? And I think one of the really common forms that can take is when we have to say no to someone. Um, because they assume we're going to be available, they assume we're going to be able to put the extra time in, or they assume we'll be happy to to join that meeting when it's really late in our local time. And if that's one of your areas that's very sensitive for you, or if it's crossing a boundary you really think needs to be quite solid, then it's going to be uncomfortable to have that conversation. But as ever, I'd say what's more important, avoiding the discomfort or being clear on what really matters to you and managing that stuff and keeping it safe for yourself. We're going to return to this next topic for a full episode because it's kind of huge, but it's about the intentional use of technology. One of the things that makes navigation of boundaries more of a challenge, Pilar, you mentioned it, there's the, well, it's just a two minute task and it's so easy for me to have a quick look at my phone or a quick look in my laptop. Obviously, this is for the knowledge workers um, for whom that is easy. So we need to think about how we use technology and if we can do it in a way that helps us have the level of separation that we want or the level of integration that we want. So what might that look like? Well, I think we all know people who prefer to have two mobile phones, a work phone and a personal one. And for them, that's the kind of physical representation of that separation. And there'll be other people who want to ensure that the phone they have with them, wherever they are, can access Slack at work or their emails or whatever else it is, because they just want to have that security that they can jump on something at a time that suits them. So think about, are you using the technology as a tool or is it intruding on some of these boundaries for you? And what might you need to do? A little bit differently. As I say, we'll we'll return um, to this topic for for an entire episode because I think both you and I have quite a lot to say on this, Pilar. 
Yeah, it really is um, because it's there <laughs> and because mm-hmm. it's so helpful to us. It's it's the thing that technology can make our life easier and more difficult. So it's I've 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 started to be dependent on it also. So it's really difficult mm-hmm. to to not let it um, take over. It is, and it's very attractive. Mm, oh <laughs> it, yeah, you, yeah. You know, it's it's there, and it can be entertaining, and it can also be a great distraction from from everything else. I found myself having a lot. I won't say too much, but a lot of it around me in the evening. And I, I've tried to make a change in terms of my segmentation, my separation of this is to not use my laptop. For in the evenings, really, I have an iPad, and if there's anything I want to do, like look something up or you know, waste my life on social media, I, I can do that on an iPad. And I, I'm not there's more friction there to dig into work related content if I don't want to see it. So that's one way that I do that because I notice the same trend. It's on my lap anyway. I'll have a quick look here. What's happening there? Before I know it, I'm no longer present in front of the TV or the conversation or whatever it is. So. Tech is both a facilitator, but it's also a little bit of um, sand in our shoe uh, that can make this kind of thing a little bit more complicated. Now, we started talking about physical space, and I think it's worth reiterating from our previous conversation about the importance of considering how the use of your physical space can support boundaries where you want them to be. Obviously, we don't all have a a lovely separate home office that we can close a door behind, but it can be a closed door from whatever room you were in at the end of the day or a closed door so you don't see and hear uh, private personal things. Anything you can indicate to other people that you don't want to be disturbed or it's helpful if you're not disturbed. And the simple acts we've discussed before about putting things out of sight that are related to work so they're not front of mind as you engage with your your personal life in the evenings or the weekends so simple things like that pilar you and i've been doing things like this for years because of you know the amount of work we we have done at home is there anything you find that works particularly well for you in terms of how you use your space well, I would like to say that putting my phone in a drawer works, but it doesn't. <laughs> it, it just calls me from there. Um, well, I close the laptop. I don't. I rarely use the laptop for non-work stuff, uh, or if I do, it's usually while I'm at work. So I have that. That when when I and sometimes I'm very deliberately, especially at the end of a long day, and especially those moments where you think I could go on forever, I very deliberately go okay close laptop, uh, close the the, the, the top, <laughs> and that's it. Close the lid, and that's mm-hmm. it. So it's almost like the action of doing it is as important to me as then the visible cue it gives me afterwards. Mm. It's like an end-of-day routine. Yeah, and, and saying, and, and it's not just in my brain. My body also says, okay, that's it. Close the thing, <laughs> that's it. Move away, move away. Yeah, yeah. And and this is exactly what we're talking about. I have a little uh, routine established in my Todoist app that mm. I use, and it's just the, the couple of tasks I want to do at the end of each working day. There's no set time. They're just tagged as the, the routine, and that's like, you know, close laptop, tidy away the paperwork, and uh, as we are at the moment, kind of put away your equipment. So, you know, when I'm working at the kitchen table, then it's, well, put away your laptop stand. 
you know, uh, I can I actually dismantle it and put it in a in a table underneath the table so I can't see it. I okay. put away the paperwork, the notebook, the pen, whatever it is that I've been using all day, because that to me is now the kitchen table is back to being a kitchen table and not the headquarters of my organization. Uh, but it's a, I think it works the same way for me. It's a nice little reminder. These are things that signal to me and others. That's it. Works finished for the day. So we've introduced a, another perspective on the, the working from home conundrum experience. And of course, I'd love someone to be listening to this in 2022 saying, what nonsense, everything's been sorted out. I don't know what you were complaining about, but maybe you won't be. And maybe you're listening to this in the future and you're, you're working from home because you want to. I hope these um, uh, conversations have added something to your own perspective and you're able to explore these principles to see what works for you, of course, in your context. We'd love to hear from you. I would love to hear what boundary management strategies you've been using over the years. Maybe you've been using just in the past year, what's worked for you, uh, what kind of boundary management challenges have you encountered. Get in touch by Twitter at mypocketpsych or send us a long message at worklifepsych.com slash contact. We'd love to hear from you. Pilar, any closing words of wisdom before we wrap up episode 81? Yes, you said that you hope it'll be relevant post-pandemic, and I think it will be because it was relevant pre-pandemic also. Even when we've had the choice, we've still had to really, for those of us who are working from home, we've still had to manage it and keep at it and work at it. So I'm sure it will still be relevant after the pandemic. I'll still be gainfully employed. <laughs> Good. Well, let's let's hope so. Um, and we look forward to that time, uh, of course. Well, listen, 81 is in the can. So um, wow. as always, thank you for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com slash contact. Thanks for listening.